Our scriptures in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of God. So we're in a series on the signs of John pointing us to Jesus. So we've talked about uh, the sign of turning the water into wine, talked about the sign of Jesus cleansing the temple, and that was at the first Passover that Jesus was doing ministry. We've talked about the third sign of the nobleman's son and how Jesus spoke a word and he was healed. And then last week we talked about the, the paralytic who was by the uh, water the pool of Bethesda. And so these signs are indicators for us. John says these are not simply wondrous miracles God does. These are signs that tell us who Jesus is. This uh, miracle today, this feeding of the 5,000, I mean, it's it's in all the Gospels. It's It's one of the ones that captivates us, I think. It's been portrayed many different ways, uh, but it's an amazing, I think it's it's quite interesting, and I'm going to take a bit of a different tack this morning than maybe you've heard before, because I'm going to do it as why it's a sign. Yes, it was a miracle, but often we focus on kind of the miraculous event of all these people, 5,000 men, many more children and women, and a few loaves and fish, and just God multiplies. There's a, you can come at this. I could probably preach 20 sermons on this one text coming at it from different angles. But there's some things I want us to note that maybe we don't often look at when it comes to this and what follows it. What Tiffany read this morning was simply the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But immediately following that, we have actually two more miracles and then Jesus teaching on why this is a sign. 
And it's the most explicit teaching on this being not simply a, wow, I can make uh, a feast for everybody out of just a few loaves and fish, but why this is about who Jesus Christ is. Once again, going back to the purpose of the Gospel of John, right? Done it every week. We're going to do it for number six and seven as well. And by the way, this we continue to escalate in five, six, and seven Just these are amazing signs. But the point of it is these signs are given so that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that if you believe that you will have life. John 20, 30 and 31. Okay, so a couple things I want you to know. If you got your Bible, open up because we're going to we're going to look at a couple things here that you I don't know that I really saw. I read it and I was aware of it, but I just wanted to focus on this a bit more. Okay. Why were the crowds following Jesus before this miracle and after this miracle? Were they, were they captivated by him? No. Jesus says very explicitly, they were following him because they saw the miraculous signs. Verse two, chapter six. The large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Okay, And then afterward, in John 6.26, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs that pointed to who I was, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Said this before, say it again. Miracles and wondrous signs will draw crowds. I'd love to see it. I mean, I've gone and driven to places where it feels like God is moving and doing things. It does not necessarily change hearts that will come and go. I've shared before about people who've been touched by miraculous events. And as time goes on, it's like, how could that fade? It will Faith can produce many things in our life, but miraculous signs don't necessarily change your heart. What changes hearts, the Bible says, is when we believe, when we actually make that faith belief jump and trust in Jesus. That's what changes hearts. So just want to reemphasize all these signs. They're cool, no doubt. Even if you don't believe it, we pro- you probably wish it was true. Because, <laughs> like, this is so cool that Jesus could do such things, but it won't change your heart. Believing in Jesus changes your heart. Okay, verse 2. Let's go back. Chapter 6, verse 2. Listen carefully to these words. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. We just mentioned. Now look at verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Does that phrasing remind you of anything? Okay. For those of us who went through the Sermon on the Mount last year, it is exactly Matthew 5.1. It's almost identical wording. Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he sits down and his disciples come to him. That's Matthew 5.1. Why is that important? Okay. When in Jewish tradition, someone who goes up on a mountain, that phrasing would indicate that they are going to say something important. Mountains was where that happened. This comes from Moses' tradition, because Moses, where does he get the word of the Lord? 
Mount Sinai. He goes up on the mountain and he becomes the prophet. He is the prophet of Israel. He brings the word of the Lord to the people. When the people were forming an identity coming out of slavery at what event? The Passover. So let's keep tying this in. Verse four. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews is at hand. For a Jewish reader, this would have slapped them in the face of, oh, he goes up on the mountain and what does he do? He teaches. Jewish teachers sat to teach. We stand like the preachers get up and they stand for logistically. It's just easier to see. Right. But for a Jew, a Jewish teacher sat. I don't know if his disciples would sit at his feet or stand around him, but that was the position of teaching, of delivering the word. So this is saying, this is giving a picture, and then he says, it's Passover. So we need to look and see the allusions to Moses here. And all through this, uh, we're, we're going to see through this whole story, if you read this whole chapter, it has so many tiebacks into Moses. If you go to Numbers chapter 11, I won't turn and read that with you, but this is the story of where the people are hungry in the wilderness. And it says the people are grumbling that they're hungry. And so God says, I'm going to give you manna, bread from heaven to eat. And they say, wow, it's amazing. It tastes like coriander. And so bread from heaven comes down and, and feeds the people. And then what do they do? They keep grumbling. They keep saying, I'm kind of tired of this bread. And they say, give us meat to eat. We need flesh to eat. And God brings what? Quail. He brings birds. And they're able to eat uh, this diet of both bread and meat. This is going to come back. You kind of can see a little bit where this is going, right? We've got to see this in the picture. It's Passover The first Passover, cleansing of the temple of Jesus' ministry. There are three Passovers in John that's indicated. Three years, right? So Passover is the cleansing of the temple. And now says this is Passover and the bread from heaven. This is what they're thinking about. They're thinking about what? We've celebrated a Seder dinner, right? About remembering when the people left bondage. And when the angel of death passed over them and they weren't slaughtered by the Egyptians. And they this is, this is one of the huge celebrations for all Jews. And so this is the second one. And the third one will be on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. So those are the three Passovers that John looks at. So this uh, so we have here the the the, the bread of heaven They're crying out for flesh And all of this, Jesus is beginning to say, look, something greater than Moses is here. He actually says this later. He says, someone greater than Moses is here. I'm superseding Moses. This miracle, we can get caught up in, wow, he can really make a, a piece of bread go a long way, can't he? Like, that's amazing. But this is so much theologically richer when you realize that He's talking about what satisfies the human soul. You know that line, it says, you know, man does not live by what? Just bread alone? Well, you need bread to live. You need physical food. But the problem is, like in our culture, that's all we want. 
bread, it's, it's interesting that our money, right, in the 70s it began, you know, you got some bread, man. You know, if you're old enough, you remember when money is bread. But what do you exist on? What do you live on? What do you need? Well, we need the things that would satisfy us for an instant, for a moment. And that's the other thing I want us to look at here is that how long did the satisfaction from feeding all these people last? A meal. They were going to be hungry again probably the same day. They were traveling to follow Jesus around. I understand you can say a miracle that where uh, a paralytic 38 years and his life has changed. I mean, there's a significance in that that is unmistakable to someone who's healed. But if Jesus provides lunch for you today, does that mean, oh, oh, that's great. How about dinner? Breakfast the next morning? I get hungry. I don't know about you, but I get hungry, you know, pretty frequently. So a last meal was great, but Jesus, what about the next meal and the next meal? And that's exactly what Jesus addresses. It's exactly, I'm going to point out one more thing, and then we're going to look at Jesus using this as a sign, not as the miracle of the meal. It's the miracle of the meal maker. Last thing I want to point out, and this, I don't know anywhere else in Scripture that is as explicit as this or whatever, but Jesus asks a question that he he already knows the answer. It's simply a, a test. It's simply pointing out it's a teaching moment. And I don't know, maybe if you know of another place in the in the Bible where this happens, point it out to me, but I, I couldn't think of one where it happens like this. So he says, he sees the crowds coming toward him at the at, as they were trying to gather around him because they'd heard he healed. So this is in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus turns to Philip. I sort of visualize him leaning over to Philip, probably sitting next to him. Says, um, so Philip, what do you think we should do? But he says it like this. He says, um, where are we to buy bread? Because all these people, they're going to need to eat. Remember, it's Passover. So maybe this is some something of a Passover meal. But it's like, what do you think? Philip, what do you think? The local local place? Think we can get it? So you can see Philip's wheel spinning. He comes up with a number, right? He says, ah, uh, man, I got a, Jesus is asking me logistic. I'm like Jesus logistics guy. Like he's saying, okay. So he's figuring out 200 denarii, 200 denarii. Well, denarii was a day's wages. So you can figure it out, whatever your one day's wages is 200 times. So about eight, nine months of your wages. That's how he figured it. So he, his wheels were spinning, right? 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each, each person here to get a little bit. You realize Jesus didn't want an answer, right? I mean, he did, he was at, but it, he says, and then John makes this comment, um, a- afterward he says, um, verse six, he said this to test him. He, being Jesus, to test Philip. He said this to test him. For he himself already knew what he was going to do. Oh, Jesus, come on. Really? Why would he do that? 
Was it so Philip would fail? No. No. Jesus doesn't test us so we would fail. He's pointing something out, though. There's going to come a day when he's going to ask his disciples to feed. For us, we're that now. He's asking us to bring bread to the world. And the question is, what are your logistics? The answer was, Jesus, we can't do it. We don't have enough money in the treasury. We don't have enough resources to do this. So how are we going to do it? I think the call was for Philip to say, no can do, Jesus, so now it's on you. What, what Are you going to do it? Are you? What, what are we going to do? Jesus had already knew what he was going to do, and they couldn't conceive of it. So I don't blame Philip for not coming up with the answer. But for us who have this, when you don't know what to do, when you don't have the resources and you've got nothing left, I would encourage you, don't look to his hand. Look to his face. It was easy for the crowd. The crowd only looked to his hand. Where's the next bread, right? I mean, they're probably trying to spot how we know from the other gospels that Jesus takes thanks, thanks God, breaks the bread, that interesting, you know, broke, broken bread like Passover, and he hands it to his disciples. And they turn around and give that. And I'm sure, I mean, people have got to be like, when does this one loaf become two or become 12? Or how's the, what's the mechanism? They're looking at his hand. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, look, there's going to come a day when I'm going to hand you bread. I'm going to hand you living bread, me, and you're going to need to turn around and give it to people. Can you? Can you explain to people how Jesus satisfies? Do you believe Jesus satisfies the human heart? Because this is what this story is about. It's not about his ability to feed people miraculously because they were going to get hungry again in a few hours. He can do it. It's great to know he's powerful enough to do it. But the answer to the human heart is not bread. That kind of bread. And that's what Jesus is going to tell them. Interesting, one other thing, interestingly enough, he's, they say in verse 14, when they see the sign that he had done, changing all the little barley loaves and the fish into food for a multitude, what do they say? This is the prophet who has come into the world. Who's the prophet? Moses. Moses brought manna from heaven. Deuteronomy 18.15 and 18.18 indicate Moses telling the people as they're going into the promised land, there's going to come a day when another prophet is going to bring you in and bring you bread and going to deliver the word. Watch for the prophet. And they say, oh, manna from heaven. Manna from heaven, bread that comes from God. This is the prophet. They didn't understand. Jesus is so much more than a prophet. And interestingly enough, here the people are about to go in back now with Moses. And they're feeding on bread from heaven every day. Experiencing the goodness and presence of God, miraculous presence. Every day they scoop up bread from the ground and eat for years. How many of them actually went into the promised land? Two. 
Because that's not the bread that brings you to the place that God's prepared for you. What brings you to the place is believing the Word of God and standing on it. And that's what Caleb and Joshua did. They believed God and everyone else didn't. So all that experienced the physical bread, only the ones who believed experienced the bread that was available to them. The day the manna stopped was the day they entered the promised land. Think about that. Another sermon. All right. Let's, let's just talk about what Jesus says. I'll just really quickly, and this is fascinating. Jesus then leaves, the, the, the disciples leave after this miracle, go in a boat to the other side of Galilee, probably to escape the crushing crowds. What does Jesus do? Another miracle, walks on the water to, to get in to help them across. Just saying, another miracle. You know, there's two miracles in that story. I don't know that I ever really looked at this. Verse 20, after they're freaking out that Jesus is walking on the water, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I don't know what to do with that. I'm just saying. I mean, look, if you're going to believe in the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water, that the boat went from one place to another you know, that's a small potatoes, but it is kind of interesting that he just makes this comment that the boat was immediately, it's just, we're into like teleporting at this point. It's like crazy. So then, it, then they get, the crowd follows him over and Jesus rebukes them as we read in verse 26. And he says, look, there's, you're just following me because you think I'm doing like magic tricks. You don't want me. You're not looking at my face. You're looking at my hand. Looking at what I can do for you. I want you to know me, love me, let me love you. I want a relationship. What's their response to that, to this rebuke? Well, they say in verse 26, after he responds uh, and kind of rebukes them, they answer and say, what must we do, in verse 28, to be doing the works of God? It's a little bit oddly phrased, but the idea here is, okay, so if we're going to be in relationship, what does it look like to be doing your, your stuff? And it would be into, it would be easy, I think, for us to say, if I said, hey, are y'all working for God? What, y'all doing the work of God? It'd be easy to say, well, it's West Haven, right? We go and we minister to the poor and we, we do things. What's Jesus' answer? Here's the work of God. Believe in me. Believe I am the bread of life. Who I said I am. Verse 33. I'll start with 32. Jesus said to the crowd, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread always. You realize two chapters before this in John 4, there's a woman in a well and there's water drawn. And Jesus says, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to drink this water. It's the same parallel. He says, you're going to get hungry again. You're going to eat this bread, this magic bread. You're going to get hungry you're going to drink this water, he says to the woman at the well. You're going to get thirsty again. Get living water. And she says, 
oh, this would be great. Can, can I get living water? And he says, you're looking at him. Jesus satisfies the thirst in your soul. He will satisfy the thirst in your soul. Not religion. Not morality. Not making good decisions. All those are good things. Morality is better than immorality. Good decisions better than bad decisions. But if, if your soul is unsatisfied, only the bread of life, only water and bread that you don't have to keep drinking. If you think, well, I need something real. I offer you something real this morning. Unseen, yes, but real. Which is the face, the person of Jesus Christ. Who has come into this world. Who is bread for your soul and he will satisfy it. Just read and I would encourage you. I don't have time to go through because this is an extensive teaching on what it means to be the Passover. Remember, this Passover meal, what's, what's, what happens at the Passover every year for the Jews? They get unleavened bread. They get a slaughtered lamb to remind them of the lamb that was slain to save their lives. Blood is poured over the door and wine in the Passover meal given to remember. And Jesus in this whole teaching is saying this, you need bread on this Passover? Here I am, the bread of life. You need a lamb on this Passover? Here I am. I'm the lamb that comes in to the world. Uh, we'll just look at John 6, 52. Remember, they'd sit and eat a lamb together in reminder. And the Jews, in verse 52, disputed among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says, truly, unless you eat of my flesh... I mean, we're getting into weird area here. They're, they're, the Jews are, they don't know what to do with this. You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink His blood. You have no life within you. As they're sitting there eating the lamb of Passover, drinking the cups of wine and remembering the blood that was poured. And He says, it's me! It's me! It's me! I'm the bread! I'm the lamb! The signs, they're all pointing to me! And you're interested in, oh, well, can, can he really make bread and fish into more than just that? Is that? He says, you're missing the point. I'm the satisfaction that weary souls need. I won't be made a king in your political or social agenda. Verse 15, he says he runs away from that. I won't be made a, a pawn. You can't turn him into some of the God you want him to be. You want him to be the head of your political party? Look for a politician. You want the head of a social agenda? Look for somebody who knows sociology. You want a savior? There's one. Look to Jesus. You want your soul to be satisfied? Look to him. Every sign points to him. Let's pray. Jesus, at the end of the day, whatever day is our end, Lord, we're going to, I think, I think I'll wish I saw these signs more clearly, Lord, help us to see that if, 
it all it all comes down to whether we bank on your telling the truth or not. Lord, there's so much I don't understand, I confess to you, in the Scripture and in the world. And as I look at reconciling what I see with what I read, I get, I, I, I don't know that I know everything. But at the end of the day, I, I need to decide, Lord, when I look into your eyes, when I see you, who I can't see now, but I believe I will one day, are you telling the truth? Are you the one? Are you the lamb? Are you the bread? Are you water for my soul, or am I going to search somewhere else? As we sang this morning, Lord, bring all my failures, bring my addictions, and lay them down at the foot of the cross. Because it is there that the Passover lamb went and sacrificed himself for me, so that the death that comes, not only my physical death, but the death of not knowing why I'm alive, could be satisfied. In the bread in the water, in the wine. Lord, you who are life, Lord, would you speak your life over us and to us. Before we close, we're just going to sing the doxology in a moment in closing. But I want you to just take a minute and I want you to just ask the Lord, If you feel your soul, you you know there's part of your soul that's just really unsatisfied. I want you to ask Him to come in and and to be what you need, Lord, to satisfy your soul. Help us to read the signs, Lord, to see what you're doing, to see who you are, not simply what you've done, and to trust in you. Let's stand together.